you will, turn in your Bibles to the third chapter of 1 Corinthians as we continue our study through the Word. So you'll remember that Paul is writing to the church there in Corinth that he had founded. And we talked about the structure of the beginning of the letter, the who it's from and who it's to, and the, and the praise and then the thanksgiving. And, and then Paul jumps into the, the issues that he is writing about. And the first issue that he is writing about is the carnality that is in the church. And that carnality was manifesting itself in the way in which people were attaching themselves to different church leaders uh, there in order to gain status. They were competing with each other. I'm of Apollos or, you know, I'm following after Cephas or I'm following after Paul. And you'll remember that Paul talks about the fact that did any of those die on the cross for you? There, there's only one that we follow. And the one that we follow is Jesus Christ, and he's the head over all the church. And Paul says, you know, when I came and I preached, I preached Christ crucified. I didn't preach Cephas or Apollos. I, I just simply preached in Christ. And, and then he went on to say, and when I preached Christ, he says, I, I didn't use great order skills. There, there, I just simply preached the truth. And then allowed the power of the Holy Spirit to be at work. And so Paul talks about that in heaven that no one is going to glory. That God is going to get all the glory. And so getting our eyes off of man and putting our eyes onto the, the head of the church, which is in Jesus. And, and then he went on to talk about, you know, the work of the Holy Spirit is, is that you just take the truth and set it forth and then let the power of the Holy Spirit to do the work. And the Holy Spirit, Paul talked about that. What, what an amazing thing the Holy Spirit is. He, he says that we've been given that gift of the Holy Spirit, that you and I have the Spirit of God indwelling inside of us. You remember that Jesus said that it's better for you if I depart because I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and and so on the, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was sent. And now every single believer, when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, then the Holy Spirit is placed inside of us. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is it allows us to know God in a way that we never could without the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul went on to talk about nobody really knows you like you know you. The, you're the only one that, that knows the depths of the intimacies and the intricacies of your heart, your experiences, your insecurities, and, and, and nobody knows you like you know you, the spirit of you inside of you. He says, well, the same is true of God. And nobody knows God like the spirit of God. And now the spirit of God has been placed inside of you so that you now can discover and know God on a level that is just absolutely amazing. And so this gift, not only is it just the revelation of God and this intimacy, because we've talked over and over about the fact that Christianity isn't a religion, it's a relationship. 
that God wants you to know him and wants you to be known. And so here we see that God revealing himself to you has put his Holy Spirit inside of you to continue to reveal himself to you, to lead you to himself, to continue to give you more intimacy with him. And so here we see that this amazing new covenant that God has established through Jesus Christ. Paul, now in this third chapter, is going to continue to talk about this, this growth now that takes place, that we have this indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is also the power of God that is at work in your life to change you and mold you into the image and likeness of Christ. So Christianity isn't the, a self-help book. It isn't here's now what a Christian looks like and, and I want you to study it and read it and then I want you to start to implement it in your life to where you now are going to change yourself into the image and likeness of Christ. No. The Word of God is the revelation of God Himself. And so we have the portrait of Christ and the portrait of, uh, of God. And the power of the Holy Spirit that has been placed inside of you is now going to be at work to transform you into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. So we get the portrait, but it's not us creating ourselves into that portrait. It is, this is where God is going to take you. And now the Holy Spirit is going to be at work in your heart and in your life in order to be able to move you towards that portrait. So that we can't boast when we get to heaven. We can't boast in heaven that, of what we have done and how we have changed. Every bit of change in your life is due to the power of the Holy Spirit that is inside of you. So that God gets all the glory. Your testimony becomes not a testimony of how great I am, but a testimony of how great he is, what great things he has done in our life. He talks about the fact that the Holy Spirit residing inside of us, it's a mystery. And he talks about how God has great mysteries in store for us. He talked about how heaven is a mystery and how eye hasn't seen and ear hasn't heard, nor has it even entered into the heart of man yet what God has prepared for us. But we will go from glory to glory, and then we will enter into eternal glory. Paul here is going to kind of talk about the church now, and he's going to give us three different examples and illustrations. Remember, he's writing to the church at Corinth, and so he is seeking to help them to become a healthy church. And so he is going to give the illustration of the church as a family. He's going to give the illustration of the church as a, as a field, as a, a farmer's field. And then he's going to give an illustration here of the church as a, as a building and how we are all partakers and workers now of the church and of the body of Christ. And so verse 1, chapter 3, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Now you remember that chapter 2 began or ended when 
Paul was telling us that we have the mind of Christ, that there is unity now within the body of Christ through the mind of Christ. And so when we are willing to surrender our viewpoints and to accept and adopt the mind of Christ, then there is absolute unity. In our culture today, we have taken opinion and elevated it to truth. That whatever is your opinion, that's your truth. And so this word opinion and truth has been merged together. So everybody has their opinions. But where is there unity? There's unity not in trying to argue opinions to each other, but there's unity when we surrender our opinion and find out what's the opinion of Christ. And now the view of Christ, the mind of Christ, and letting go of our viewpoint and now meeting in the mind of Christ. And so this is where all division, this is where it ends, is in the mind of Christ. But in the church in Corinth, they had all of these factions and they had everybody aligning to factions and everybody now was seeking to gain status according to the faction that they were involved in. And so Paul talks about the fact that there's unity in the mind of Christ, but he says in the church at Corinth, he says there isn't that unity. Why? He says, because you're still carnal. Your carnality is what is forcing you into these fleshly manifestations of competing with each other by status. He says, you're, you're babes in Christ. Now, Paul had come to the church in AD 50. That's when he founded the church. He's writing this letter in AD 56. So many of these Christians have been Christians for six years. He says, but the problem here is, is that though by now you should be spiritually mature, you're completely spiritually immature. You've entered into the kingdom of God and then you've just stayed there. He compares it to a, a, a child. Now, an infant, when they're born, the only thing digestively that they can handle is milk. And so they begin with milk. And then after their body and their digestive system begins to mature a little bit, you're able to move to some cereal mixed with the milk. And then after that, to baby food, pureed baby food. Have you ever tasted baby food? Oh my gosh, but I digress. Baby food and then and from there, they start to get you know, a little bit more solid. And finally, you know, they're able to actually chew on a piece of meat and digest that. And so that, that's the progressions. Now, the, the church is six years old. And guess what? It still can only drink milk. It still hasn't progressed now at all in, in its maturity. And, and so and Paul is talking about here that, you know, nothing can keep a child in prolonged infancy except disease or disorder. If that child doesn't move past milk and able to now start to have cereal and start to have, then there is either a disease that is at work there or there is a, a, a disorder that is happening. That, that is not normal. Paul is making that same statement here. Spiritually, you should be maturing. 
God's desire is, is that you would continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of God, that the operation of the Holy Spirit, the natural operation of the Holy Spirit in your life should be bringing conviction into your life. You should be growing in your capacity to be able to understand sin, to understand the flesh, to be able to start to overcome temptations that you weren't able to overcome in the past, a greater sensitivity to the work of the Spirit in your heart and in your life, your understanding and knowledge of your identity in Christ. All of these things should be moving forwards as a function of time as a Christian. But here we see that the Corinthians, they they were saved. They had the I'm going to heaven card in their back pocket. And then they were living whatever way that they wanted to live. And so that is the carnality. Now, a carnal Christian, Paul is going to break that down into two categories. A firstborn, when you're first saved, you are a Christian, but you're a carnal Christian. You've just entered into the kingdom of God. You don't know anything. He says, that's completely normal. That's completely natural. Every single one of us started off as a carnal Christian. But we should be progressing, and the carnality in our life should be dissipating as we become spiritually mature and become more spiritual. And so here we see that and Paul says that, you know, that I, I come to you and I have to continue to feed you milk. He says, for one says, I am of Paul, and another says, I am of Apollos. Are you not carnal? In other words, here we see that that, that statement in the Greek, it, it means, you know, you have to answer that in the affirmative. He is declaring that that is evidence of your carnality. He says, who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. And so here he says, you know, who is Paul and who is Apollos? You, you, you have this attachment to I'm following Paul or, you know, I'm following Apollos. He says, who are they? They're just ministers. Now, the word minister in Greek just means servant. They're just servants. That's how all they are. And so you remember how Jesus had taught that, that, that whoever wants to be great among you, he says, become the servant of all. And so Christianity is an inversion of the value system of the world. Now, we wouldn't attach ourselves to the lowest person for status. We would attach ourselves to the highest person for status. But here we see that in the inversion now, the leaders are supposed to be the, the, the servants of everybody. And so Paul here now begins to give the analogy that the church is like a giant field. And in that field, one goes out and, and one sows the seed. And, uh, and then another comes along and, and waters the seeds. But who is the one that brings the crop uh, up? Who is the one that makes those uh, seeds and to, to grow? That's God. And so the person that's spreading the seed they're not important, the one that waters the seed. They're not important. It's God who is the one who gives the increase. He says, now, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Uh, and so 
the point is, is that we are not to put Christian workers on pedestals. We see here that though we are co-laborers in the work, in the field, some are watering, some are planting, some are harvesting, some are weeding, some are breaking up the fallow ground. We see that we are individually responsible to God for the work that we are doing based upon the gifts that God has given to you. But we're all just working in the field and, and God is the one who is responsible for the increase. Now, as we work in the field, we're each going to work as the Lord leads us to work in the field and God is the one that's going to reward each of us individually for the work that we have done. Verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Now when he says you, he's not talking about them as individuals. He's talking about the church of Corinth. You, the church of uh, Corinth, he is saying, are, are God's field. You, the church of Corinth, you're, you're God's building. So he's continuing to speak to them as a church. And so uh, we are God's fellow workers. And it's amazing that God chooses to accomplish his work through men, that we can participate with God, that God would use you, that God would use me is, is, is stunning. But yet, that is the, the plan that God has, and, and so it's God working through us. We're just the, the, the instrument, and so uh, instruments. Think of a dentist when, when they clean your teeth and they are making everything perfect in, in your mouth and they have like a thousand different tools that are sitting there and they just pick up one, use it, set it back down, pick up another one, pick them. And, and so we are just all these different tools on a tray and, and God picks one up and sets it back down and he just and uses us here and there. And, and when you leave the dentist, you don't go, man, those were great tools. <laughs> that is, those are the amazing tools. No, you say, that was a great dentist. That was a great dentist who was able to use those tools in a way that uh, took care of my mouth and, and everything is good. And, and so the, the, we're just tools. And then God picks us up and sets us down and, and uses us. So the glory isn't in the tool. The, the glory is in God. And so we, we co-labor uh, together here. And so an uh, illustration of a field and, and an illustration of God's building here, he says now, verse 10, according to the grace of God, which was given to me. So Paul's going to talk about himself as a tool. And what is it that God uses Paul to do in the field or in the illustration of a building. And he says, now, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So when Paul came to Corinth, what did he do? He started preaching the gospel. There wasn't a church there. There weren't any believers there. So he began to preach the gospel, and people started to get saved. And your acceptance of Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and, and Savior, that is the cornerstone to, to your faith. 
It is not only the cornerstone to your faith, but it's the cornerstone of the church because the church is the collection of the body of Christ. And, and so your salvation begins by accepting the preaching of the gospel. Paul says the grace that was given to him was to go and to preach the gospel. You remember that that's what he declared. When I came to you, what did I do? I determined to know nothing but Christ and him crucified, and, and that's what I preached. So Paul came, and the, he laid the chief cornerstone. Now, others are going to come and, and build up believers in their faith. So person gets saved, and then what, what's going to happen? They're going to get discipled in the church. They're going to be encouraged into new believers classes, and they're going to start to learn the doctrines of their faith. They're going to be sitting in church services where the Word of God is going to be instructing them, and they're going to grow now. But it started with that acceptance of Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. So Paul says there can be no other foundation of the church or of your faith other than you accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. That is the beginning. Others are going to build on top of it. You're going to have other teachers, other disciplers that are going to come along, but no one is ever going to lay again a foundation. That foundation is Christ Jesus. Now, verse 12, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold or silver or precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. So the foundation is laid in the life of a believer when you accept Jesus Christ. But then there are other teachers and other disciples that are going to come along, and they're going to build you up upon that foundation of your faith. But he says, now, there are important that when we are building up others, that we make sure that we are using good materials. And so, you know, he talks about precious gems. He, he talks about gold, silver, and precious stones. And, and so very much probably thinking about the temple. And the temple was... Uh, taken and decorated with silver and with gold. And when he says precious stones, I think it's important to identify that. When you say to a woman today, you know, precious stones, she immediately thinks about diamonds, okay? Because diamonds are a girl's best friend. So I don't know what verse that is. I'm still looking for that. Uh, but somewhere, you know, it must be. But, but that's not what the precious stone is that Paul is talking about here. What he's talking about is polished marble or polished granite. And so the, the polished stones that were overlaid on the temple to beautify the, uh, the temple. This, this is the precious stone now that uh, Paul is talking about. And so uh, then you have wood and you've got hay and you've got straw. Now, he talks about the fact that, you know, that there is this building that you're building into other people's lives, but that some of it could be wood, hay, or straw. Now, what is wood, hay, and straw? We see that Paul has been talking, remember, about spiritual wisdom versus 
earthly wisdom versus carnal wisdom. And so here we've got the, the silver, the gold, and the precious stone. That's the wisdom of God. Then we've got the wood, hay, and straw, which will just perish in the fire. All of that will just burn away like chaff. And so that is fleshly knowledge. That's earthly wisdom. That is self being mixed in together. So what he is cautioning is, is that when you're discipling, that when you're building on the foundation of Jesus Christ, that you only do it with spiritual wisdom and that you, you don't add any of the wisdom of man mixed into the wisdom of God. And so here we see if anyone's work, which he has built on it, endures, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. So talking about the Bema Seat, of Christ. Every one of us will stand before the Bema Seat of Christ. And the Bema Seat of Christ, a Bema Seat was a place of rewards. Like in the Olympics when they've got the, the gold and the bronze and the silver and they bring them up onto that podium. Well, that podium there, that's the Bema Seat. That's the place of rewards. And, and so when you and I, we will stand before that, that Bema Seat. Now, the works that we have done in our life of investing in others, praying for others, discipling, building up, leading up, all of the spiritual work that you have done is now going to go through a, a testing. I think of it like, you know, at the airport security where you have to put your, your bags on it and then it goes through the thing and you go to the other side and you wait for your bags to, to come through. Well, it's like you take all this, the, the work that you've done for the Lord, you put it on this, you know, conveyor belt and you go through and it goes through the fire and then you wait on the other side to see you know what comes out and you hope that what went in comes out but you know you might have put in a lot but then just a little bit came came out it's not an issue of salvation it's just an issue of being rewarded for the work that that you did but there is work that appears to be spiritual that isn't spiritual at all there are those people that serve God in order to be seen by people. That they're not doing it as an act of worship to God, but they're doing it because it's meeting their own need. They like having people talk. They like giving advice. They like being looked up to. And so they find that, that, that in the church that there are, are a lot of ways in which their own needs are getting met, and they're driven by their own selfish ambitions in the church. And so... Here it says that God knows. God knows the motive behind every single thing. And, and anything that isn't of a pure motive, that, there's going to be no reward for that whatsoever. But we see that, that God is a rewarder and that God does bless us for participating in the building of the, the kingdom of, of God. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? And if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. <clears throat> Once again, Paul is talking about the church as a temple, but also individuals are temples as, as well as the collection of the body of Christ, the church there in Corinth, 
is a temple in the presence where two or more gathered in my name. There I am in your presence. And so the church itself. And, and so here we see that, that there is this warning against the defiling uh, of the church, that God is going to uh, protect the church. And God's temple is holy. It, it is sacred. It is set apart. And so... God in his justice and holiness, he is going to bring about consequences for those that would seek now to defile it. How, how would we defile it? We would defile the church by bringing the world into the church. This is, this is what Paul is talking about, how the carnality uh, of the Christians that are there, they're bringing their carnality, they're bringing the world into the church. And we don't want to bring the ways of the world into the, the church. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So let no one deceive himself. Now, Paul here is returning to the, the subject of wisdom, to the fleshly wisdom versus the, the spiritual wisdom. And he, and he says that if anybody is wise in this age, that he needs to let go of that and not bring the wisdom of the world into the church. We see that there's a great problem of that in the church today. There is what is known as the church growth movement. And the church growth movement is, is really a set of principles that are geared around teaching pastors how to market the church to the community and to the culture that, that they are in. It's straight out of a Harvard business management. It's uh, management by objectives, MBO. And so what they do is they put on these seminars throughout the, the country. I get invited to them uh, all the time. And, you know, and, and it's appealing to that pastor that's struggling with a, a church's attendance that, uh, that, that is in decline or that is seeking now to want to validate to his pastorate by having more numbers. And, and so if you will come, we will teach you exactly how to do it. And, and here's what they do. They want you to, to send out a, a questionnaire to be able to understand from your target market, the people that are in your community, what, what are the issues? Issues that, that they want to know about and it's about making sure that you now are having them to feel good in the messages and so when you leave them uh, they now feel motivated and encouraged so that you feel good it's about using marketing and the methods of marketing that from the world to now come and to help build the church well Paul says if you're expert in marketing you need to unlearn all of that when you come into the church because you know what? God doesn't need your help <laughs> to be able to build the church. We're not going to use the methods of, of the world. Is there anything wrong with marketing in the world? No, that, uh, that's fine to be able to do that in the world. But that's the world's knowledge. That's the way the world operates. And don't bring the world into uh, the church. And so that's the mixing of spiritual wisdom with 
carnal wisdom and that mixture together. And this is what Paul is talking about. You see, another aspect of the church is that the, the church moves at the speed of relationship. But you know what? The, the, the world moves at the speed of task. And so it's about task. Get the task done, get with it, or get out of the way. Or, or we will replace you and find somebody else. And so there, there is no place for a relationship. It is task before relationship. In the church, it's relationship before task. If you got the task done, but you broke apart relationship, then you have failed to, to stay connected in unity. Unity and the bond of peace. This is what we are called to. And so what we see here that Paul is talking about, you may be an expert in your field in the world, but don't bring that into the church. Everything that we need to build the church is found right here in the word of God. And so we use the principles of the word of God and spiritual wisdom, not the wisdom of the world. He says in verse 21, Therefore let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. And so uh, we see here that this underscores the fact that we have everything that we need because we are in Christ and we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He says, and you are Christ's and Christ is and so here we see that as Christ inherited all things and all authority has been put under him and he is the head of the church and we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and we have the headship of Christ and we have the love of the Father. He says that we are absolutely rich. We don't need to turn to the world for any help in any area in our life. All things have been given to us all sufficiency for us to live out our life and our faith connected to Jesus Christ has already been given to us. As we close our study here, I want to draw our attention for a minute back to verse 3. Back to where Paul says that you are still carnal. And so he makes that statement about the church there in Corinth and, and then he backs it up. He says, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you. He says, are you not carnal, behaving like mere men? And so here he, he talks about the fact that where there is envy and where there is strife and where there are divisions, those are manifestations of the flesh. And so a manifestation of the flesh is the exact opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. A manifestation of the Spirit is joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness. These are the aspects now of love. But anything that is contrary to those, these now are going to be manifestations of, uh, of the flesh. So in our life, in your life, in my life, are we manifesting the fruit of the Spirit or are we manifesting the, the carnal attributes uh, of the flesh? And so he lists here three. Envy. Strife, divisions, envy. Envy is the first one that, that he goes to. I think that the word envy and jealousy are two of the words that are mixed up the most often that I find when I'm talking to, to people. Many times people use the word jealous when the word actually is envious. 
See, jealousy is when you're afraid of losing something that you already have. So you're married and someone starts to make advances at your wife, that's your wife, <laughs> but now you're afraid of losing your wife and so you become jealous. It's the fear of losing what you already have. Envy, envy is desiring what somebody else has. So envy is that I want that. Envy, another word for envy is the word more. I want more. It is a discontent with what I have presently in my life. Jealousy is the fear of losing what I already have. Envy is discontent with what I already have. And so the, the appeal of the flesh, the lie of the flesh, the lie of the flesh is that if you just had a little bit more, you would be happy. But Jesus said it this way, if you drink from this well, you will what? You will thirst again. The flesh is never satisfied. It is satisfied for just a moment, and then the hunger comes back again. And then it's satisfied, and then the hunger comes back again. And it always wants a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more. And so uh, envy is that desire for satisfaction in your life by having more. It's the exact opposite of contentment. Contentment is that place that says, God, you've already given me more than enough. God, I have everything that I need in order to be able to love you and to worship you. You see, if you have breath in your lungs and you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you have everything that you need in order to be able to be fully content. Breath in your lungs, the Holy Spirit inside of you. And so we live in a world that has exalted possessions, that exalts material ownership, that exalts power, that exalts all of these things. And, and it tells you and it paints the picture for you that you're going to be happy if you also have these things. I think that social media has added fuel to the fire of being able to see the, the life that everybody else is living. And what does it do? It creates envy. You, you look at that vacation photo and you say, I, I want to go there. And you see the, the, the plate of food and you say, I want to eat at that. Right? And, you, and you now, I was completely happy with my chicken noodle soup until I saw where my friend's eating. And now all of a sudden and I have soup. <laughs> you know, and suddenly now what, uh, what happened, the, the envy kicked in. I, I'm no longer happy with what I have. I need more in order to be happy. And, and that is carnality. That is flesh. In his presence is the fullness of joy. Breath in my lungs, the Holy Spirit inside of me. I have everything I need to come into his presence and to experience the fullness of joy. So Paul says, you're just, you're envious. You guys are just chasing after the things of the world in order to fill you up and to be content. He says in, in strife, strife is arguing. It's fighting versus peaceful cooperation and in, in love. And so raised voices and contentions and 
arguments and yelling and backbiting and fighting and strife and, and, and all of that. As a believer, that should all just go away. God's desire is that we would dwell together in unity and peace and the bond of love with one another. And where there are differences of opinion, then we would pray that we would surrender it to the will of God and we would find the mind of Christ in it. That we don't need to be yelling and, and fighting and raising our voices and getting angry with, with one another when we don't get our way, when we're frustrated with, uh, with one another. It's strife. Living a life where strife is in the home versus living a life where there's peace in the home. Spiritual maturity is going to bring your home to that place of peace. And so, person saved, but house is full of strife. Person saved, but now the manifestation of the presence of the peace of God that passes understanding. This isn't in divisions. Divisions are another manifestation of carnality. Where, where do divisions come from? I think that divisions come a lot from gossip. Gossip is certainly one area that creates division, you know. Gossip, you know. Hey, did you hear what happened to Bill over at his job, you know, and, and what they did to him? I don't think that that was right, the way that they're treating him. And, and now all of a sudden is what happened with Bill and what happened with his job? And now... The minute that I'm pulled into that, I have to make a decision. Do I think that Bill was mistreated at his job or do I feel that Bill wasn't mistreated at his job? And suddenly there's these two camps and some people think that he was mistreated and others think that he wasn't mistreated at all. And suddenly now, you know, I'm having to weigh in and join a camp. I didn't even know there was a camp. I was just trying to eat my chicken noodle soup over here. And now all of a sudden there's these, there's these divisions, there's these differences of, uh, of opinions. Did you hear what happened to ba, ba, ba? And now what do you think? And there's the division. And suddenly now the Bible says that if there's a problem, if you have a problem with a person, you're to go to that person. Bring it to them. Reconcile it. Don't create divisions in, in people's hearts and in people's uh, lives and and so that is, that is carnality. And so Paul here shows three different manifestations, envy, strife, and divisions. And these are things that the Lord would have us to just move away and be done with. And so may God help us to continue to grow in the, the grace and the knowledge. May we recognize that envy is a trap of the enemy, that strife is a trap of the enemy, and divisions are a trap of the enemy. And may the Lord give us wisdom in being able to walk around those traps and to grow. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word that instructs us, that teaches us, and, and God, that helps us uh, now. Bless us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.